Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am FACT's Vice President of Community Relations. I would like to pause for just a quick moment here to give a special thank you to DBV Technologies for sponsoring today's podcast. We're sitting down with FACT's Medical Advisory Board member, Allison Casson, MSRDLD, from Cincinnati Children's Center for Eosinophilic Disorders, as we take a deeper dive into the world of good nutrition when the challenges of texture aversions and feeding issues arise. We'll also discuss how to maintain good nutrition for active children and athletes who live on a restricted diet. Allison, welcome to Facts Roundtable podcast. We're absolutely delighted to have you back on the show again. The last podcast was amazing and our listeners really enjoyed it. So I am thrilled to have this conversation today. Thank you so much for welcoming me back. I'm excited to be here. Before we get started, if you can just share with listeners your background and your current work with nutrition and children so they can get to know you better. Sure. I am a registered dietitian and also a board-certified specialist in pediatric nutrition. I work in outpatient clinics at Cincinnati Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I work specifically with children and adults with eosinophilic esophagitis and other eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorders. I also work with children with food allergies Um, which is becoming a bigger part of our practice as well. And so we just mentioned that working with children with food allergies is getting bigger. Have you seen a big surge in the last couple years, or has it been a steady growth? Yes, we have seen an increase in consultations for children with newly diagnosed food allergy, and that is following some trends that we see across the country as well. There are increases in certain populations you know, food allergy prevalence, um, especially in minority populations, which is really interesting. And being in an urban center in Cincinnati, Ohio, we see special needs with our families who live locally as well. I'm so happy you're doing this. My son's now 23, but when he was around three, four, he had a lot of allergies and he was very tiny and I was worried about nutrition and it was really hard to find somebody who could understand food allergies. I would meet with dietitians and nutritionists and they would tell me to try to give him a little peanut butter (laughs) and maybe a little milk would be okay. And so I am just so personally happy to hear you're out there doing this really good work because boy, it is needed. Oh, well, thank you. That's really flattering. You're right. A lot of those calorie dense foods tend to be common allergens, which make my job and parents like you's job a little challenging, but we can work around those things nowadays using some of the new products on the market. Been really helpful. 
Exactly. And I know later in the show, we're actually going to talk a little bit about mm -hmm. tips for getting some good nutrition. During your last visit on Facts Roundtable podcast, we discussed ways to discover good nutrition when living with a restricted diet due to EOE, FPIs, and food allergies. But today we'd like to go deeper into some of the challenges that families may face, such as food or texture aversions. Can you explain to our listeners what aversions are? Food or texture aversions are when a child or in some cases an adolescent or an adult does not want to eat at all or does not like or is averse rather to certain textures for whatever reason. And this can happen in children specifically with eosinophilic esophagitis. Also food allergies as well, but I'll talk specifically about EOE because the symptoms of EOE often manifest as food or texture aversions. And this makes sense because inflammation occurring in the esophagus can impact a person's comfort or ability to swallow. So because young children with the EOE may not realize that this is happening, they often accommodate their symptoms by choosing textures that won't hurt when they swallow, like liquids or soft foods or purees, or sometimes solids that dissolve easily when chewed, like puffs or crackers. We see a lot of Patients complain about dysphagia or trouble swallowing meats. And that makes sense because those foods are really highly textured and can be painful when swallowing with inflammation. But also textures like bread or rice and potato can be problematic for children with EOE, which when you think about it a little more deeply, it makes sense. Because when those ingredients are mixed with water or fluid like saliva when chewed, those can kind of create a dough that's sticky and hard to swallow and can get stuck in the esophagus as well. Food or texture aversions can present in a variety of ways for kids with food allergies, especially those with EOE. And so now just staying on aversions for another moment here, with food allergies, I've known several kids to want to stay on real smooth and soft pureed food, like baby food, who well into their elementary and even middle school age ask their parents to get them baby food. Mm -hmm. So could that be part of that? Even though they didn't have EOE, do you think the food allergy element plays into that? For sure. I see that happen a lot with children with food allergy, especially multiple food allergy, or children who have had a history of having severe reactions. They can understandably take a lot of comfort in foods that they know that they easily tolerate both from an allergy perspective and from a texture perspective. So it makes sense that we see those children really lean on those foods that are comforting to them. It happens in food allergy. It happens in eosinophilic esophagitis. Some of the young children who find that their formula is a comfort because they have just learned over time that it will not elicit an immune response for them and cause them symptoms. So they take comfort in those textures. It's either a texture comfort or it's just like a comfort in the safety knowing that that food will not cause them problems. Now if you see a children with a lot of aversions which you believe might be triggered from a previous allergic reaction at that point would you recommend that the child might see a psychologist or a psychotherapist or someone to work on the emotional impact of that? Yeah, I think for any child with a food allergy or chronic illness, a psychologist is a really important part of their care team. 
in a psychologist or in some cases, the professional that might help them might be a speech therapist or an occupational therapist might be well suited to give them some advice or tips on how to incorporate some new textures in their diet or some new foods that they previously weren't comfortable with. A mother of a child with EOE once told me that living with EOE and choosing foods with the right texture was definitely a big part of her life. So if you can just go a little deeper on that. I know we talked about textures and EOE, but the way this mother explained it to me that it was also her child defense mechanism of keeping themselves safe. Exactly. And that makes perfect sense. And that's something I've heard before. Each person with EOE falls somewhere on this spectrum of food and texture avoidance. Anywhere from complete refusal of oral intake, those are the most severe cases, the the children that we see who refuse to eat completely, to the other end of the spectrum, the nearly asymptomatic or the least severe cases of EOE that don't have any food avoidances. And then everyone else kind of falls somewhere in the middle on that continuum. So for a parent, I really feel for them figuring out where their child falls um, on that continuum and what they will accept can be really challenging for an individual parent. And that acceptance can even change depending where the child is on the continuum of their disease and therapy course, depending on whether they have active disease or whether they're in remission. So on that note, what can a parent do if they suspect their child is experiencing feeding or eating challenges? What would be their first step? Well, you alluded to it before, that maybe a psychologist or another specialist can be an important part of the team. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But really, I would emphasize that the first step is to make sure that the eosinophilic inflammation is under control. So if a child is still experiencing active inflammation, they may be uncomfortable or experiencing some pain. So if we are trying to encourage them to try new foods or eat new textures during that time of inflammation, it will likely be counterproductive. Really, achieving disease remission is priority for a lot of reasons, (laughs) whether it's just treating their EOE or progress their diet intake later. I also provide a lot of reassurance to families who have a child who has some texture or feeding aversion while they're having active EOE, that maybe now's not the time to worry so much about them eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, for example. I explain it when I'm not feeling well. I am not a very adventurous eater. I want to eat bland, comforting foods. And that's a concept that I explain to a lot of my families who are lamenting that their child doesn't eat the broad spectrum of foods that they would like them to. So I like to provide that reassurance. And then once the child's in remission, we can start to address those feeding issues, expanding diet variety and giving them better nutrition holistically. Sometimes those feeding issues resolve on their own. And as the child feels better, then they can begin to eat better. And we've seen that happen in some studies of children who undergo dialomination for EOE. Even though they're following a restricted diet, sometimes those children, in fact, grow better because as their disease resolves, they naturally begin to eat better and eat more calories, and their growth then compensates. But for very young children who developed EOE at a very young age, you know, when the inflammation occurred at a critical time in their feeding development, they've learned these maladaptive feeding behaviors to accommodate their symptoms. So it can be more challenging to undo those learned behaviors. In some cases, 
simply fixing the inflammation doesn't help. And a feeding therapist may be warranted. And we talked about that a little bit before. This is amazing information. Thank you so much. I did not know about this part of the world of living with EOE. And this is just fantastic. So I appreciate all of this conversation. It's something we've learned over years of working with these families. That's not as cut and dried as inflammation resolution does not always yield resolution of feeding problems. Sometimes it takes a little work. Sounds like it's extremely nuanced and you need to combine science and medicine and just your mindfulness, everything in there. Absolutely. We know many children and teens with food allergies and EOE live really busy lives and often are athletes too. So what are the best practices for active children and athletes to take to understand how to discover their basic nutritional needs when you're so active? Whether or not the child has EOE or food allergies or not, for active children or really any child, a good rule of thumb for choosing snacks, whether it's a daily snack or to support an active lifestyle, a good rule of thumb is pairing a good source of complex carbohydrate with a source of fat or protein. And I'll explain that a little bit. I like a campfire analogy. Foods that are simple carbohydrates like low fiber, high sugar foods like candies, cookies, sugary snacks, those are kind of like the kindling that you put on a fire. They burn fast and they burn quick. But complex carbs, like starches containing fiber, like oats or whole grains or beans, especially when those are paired with a fat and protein, and fats and protein also slow digestion, those are like the logs on your campfire that burn slowly and fuel your activity for longer so you don't crash and burn. Now, finding... A good snack that contains those complex carbs and a fat or protein source can be challenging to do, you know, especially our kids with food allergies and EOE who are following a restricted diet because a lot of those portable snacks, especially those containing those good ingredients, can contain allergens like milk or nuts or wheat and those that are higher in fiber. So based on this information, and I'm listening very closely because I have an athlete uh, daughter who we are struggling to find good snacks for the golf course. Do you have any meal or snacking tips? I do. So specifically, if I'm thinking about a child who has to avoid multiple common food allergies, here are some ideas that I often recommend. Definitely oats, particularly gluten-free oats if the child needs it. Oat bars or granola oat bars with seeds or an added seed butter, which you can now buy individual seed butter packets, which are really nice and portable nowadays. I always recommend those because you get your nice combination of fiber from the oats and then a little fat and protein from the nuts as well. There are lots of recipes on the internet for these things that are called power bites or power balls. You might've seen these on Pinterest or blogs or other places. And you can make them in advance and you can freeze them really well. What they are, they use quick cooking oatmeal or maybe another gluten-free grain that is suitable for your child. Sometimes a little protein powder to give it flavor and maybe a little protein boost. And a seed butter and a sweetener to help bind all the ingredients together. And you can add lots of fun things to them like dried fruit or seeds or shredded coconut or 
dairy-free chocolate chips, if that's your jam. And there's recipes all over the internet for these. And you can make them in advance, they're portable, and they freeze really easily as well. For kids who like more savory snacks, um, there's lots of dried bean snacks that are on the market that kind of taste like popcorn or pretzels. Things like roasted chickpeas or roasted fava beans. Those are nice savory options for the kids who need some salt. And the salt's good because it's an electrolyte source for those kids who are sweating a lot during their activity too. And there's also a variety of hypoallergenic formulas and drinks. These are some of our amino acid-based formulas. Those can be really portable in the sense that you can throw a few scoops of a formula powder into a shaker cup, add water, and drink it, and it's complete nutrition on the go. Those can be good options, and there's some new plant-based pea protein drinks on the market too that can be nice, portable, complete nutrition for kids who are really active as well. This is fantastic. I never really realized that there was a little bit of a, a system to it, you know, where we want the protein and then a binder and then a sweetener and the complex carbohydrate. This is great. I feel like you've just lifted the veil on snackdom. <laughs> As you were talking, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to run over to Pinterest right now and find some good recipes. Well, we're coming to the end of the show here. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to add or you would like listeners to hear from you? Just that preparation is key. You know, it's possible for kids to live an active lifestyle and still participate in all the activities. And we know how important that is right now. We've seen that over the past year, how important these activities are for kids and their mental health, especially kids with either a chronic illness or, you know, something like multiple food allergies. So if we can help support their nutrition so they can still participate in those activities. I think that does them really well in the long run. And it's possible with a little planning and some of the new products that are available out there. Wonderful. Well, thank you for this great advice. And also just to add to finding snacks, I know if you have a local support group, that really helps. And if you want, you can go on to facts website where we do have a list of support groups. I've learned a lot from other moms where I'll meet someone who has similar allergies. And as soon as we find a really wonderful product or ingredient, we'll start posting and sharing. So I just want to let listeners know, reach out to your people and they might have some good ideas. Yeah. Parents who are living this are the best resource. <laughs> Well, Allison, thank you so much for your time. I know you're an incredibly busy woman and I appreciate your time today and you have a wonderful day. Thanks. Same to you. Before we wrap up, I just want to give another thank you to DBV Technologies for their kind and generous support. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.